Well, 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 it's Drop the Subject. It's Allie and James. Welcome. It's Wednesday. It's a good feeling. And hey, we got some really good news yesterday. I don't know if you heard, James. There's a lot of troublesome things that we've been dealing with this uh, dealing with this year, as you know. And it seems that the solution has been presented to us. I know... You know, there's a lot of contention around the fact that we don't have the leadership that we need to get through a, a, a terrible year like 2020. Right, James? Uh, I mean, it, <clears throat> leadership is a really strong word for what we've had, particularly in terms of, you know, dealing with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot there. But I I'm a, I will take whatever good news you got, Allie. I, I don't even know. I don't know what this is. So well, give it, lay it on me. OK, I'll lay it on you. The good news is that we finally have a solution for the coronavirus pandemic from the president <gasps> of the United States. Oh, and uh, he's back in the White House, as you know, he's uh, said mm. a lot since he got back. And uh, he said oh, wow. this about getting better and what we should all do about coronavirus. Take a listen. And now I'm better and maybe I'm immune. I don't know. But don't let it dominate your lives. Get out there. Be careful. We have the best medicines in the world. And it all happened very shortly. And they're all getting approved. And the vaccines are coming momentarily. So I don't know if you heard all that, James, but he's better. He's possibly immune now, superhero style. Uh, We shouldn't Uh let coronavirus dominate our lives. And a vaccine is coming momentarily. So that is all very good news from the president. It seems he has solved the world's problems in 17 seconds or less. Oh, good good for him. You know, uh, he he is not fired. You're fired. This this guy is absolutely a reality show clown. That we, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like we go back to where everyone's like, I can't believe we elected a reality show guy as our president, and that, which is exactly how he's treating this. From the photo, I love how they were calling the the photo op that he did on the balcony, Covita. Oh, <laughs> totally. Or they said it was Mus- Mussolini was trending too because it was this Mussolini yes. moment. It's such an insult to, you know, the two people that I buried last week right? that I took care of from COVID, the uh, nearly 211,000 Americans that have died, let alone the more than 1 million people around the world that have died, even the people who have gotten sick and recovered from this, the people who have lost their jobs, right? The small businesses that are gone and will never return. Cineland and Regal Cinemas are now closed permanently forever. Like this is going to have generational impacts. And this piece of just like does things like say don't let it dominate your life right don't worry about it it's fine he has he got a drug cocktail that no other human being on earth got or probably will before there's a vaccine and he is bold-faced lying to the american people this is more than just a hail mary for him a desperate plea for him to hang on to any sort of semblance of power I cannot believe, mm. and this is beyond even not not even denouncing white supremacy. Like this is just his handling of COVID. I, I I am people have been asking me a lot why I've not said a little bit more on social media in the last few days. A because a lot of people are saying the things that I'm thinking, and B I, I get so angry that I can't form complete sentences. No, I mean when I you can't. you and you are you're doing very well at that, but. It, it is something that if you really think about the things that he said, uh, I don't I don't want to play them again because they are infuriating. But saying it, well, earlier in that video, he said, I've I've felt I've never felt better. I'm feeling better than I possibly have in 20 years. 
So that's wow. already a completely misleading statement. Yep. When this man's blood oxygen levels dipped to very dangerous levels, probably 48 hours before that. Then mm-hmm. saying that everything visibly short of breath. Yes. In his Mussolini moment, visibly short of breath. Yeah. And then to say, don't let it dominate your life. Oh, what a privilege. I retweeted that video and somebody comment on it uh, on it and said exactly what you said, James, which is, man, I wish that I had had access to all those drugs when I had had it because, yeah, you know what to say? Don't let it dominate your life. Say that to the thousands and millions of people who have lost their lives, uh, who have lost their jobs, who have lost loved ones, who have lost any number of things in this year alone. So F you, dude, I cannot believe that. And then to, and then on top of it all, to continue to mislead everybody about a vaccine, to say there's one coming momentarily, like momentarily, momentarily. it's just. And then even on top of that, to go so far as to say, I'm not even going to talk about another stimulus package. Right. Until after I win the election. Oh, my God. So so you you know that people are jobless. You know that people, these evictions are coming. You know that these things are happening. Beyond the fact that people are dying, those of us who are lucky enough to be alive are still being seriously impacted by this. And you give two craps about this. Oh, I can't with this guy. Speaking of two, no more than two minutes of commercials. Hold on. It's Drop the Subject. We'll be right back. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject, Allie and James. Oh, tonight is the night. You know, lots of people have been really fired up about this debate. Basically because, like, Kamala Harris's job has been for a long time to, like, take people down in a moment's notice, right? Like, her job it was to think on her feet, is to think on her feet. She's a very, very quick person like that. She's we thinking also, on her converse. Yeah, she, she is, right. She's all about those uh, Chuck Taylors. And, uh... We got some good news about Uncle Joe, who's leading in the polls. This is Drop the President. Drop the President. Okay, so after the debacle of the last debate, lots of things have happened between then. Oh, I don't know. Our president went to the hospital, was potentially gravely ill. We don't know. Mm. He's gasping for air on his Covida uh, balcony. All of these things are happening. But after that debate, very, very interestingly, and I, I, Ali had this conversation with Chris and I, I, you know, I was like, okay, I know these Midwestern middle-aged white folks who are still, believe it or not, sort of undecided. And one of the things that they won't tolerate is bad behavior. They won't tolerate people um, not being respectful in, in an overt, obnoxious sort of fashion. And while Trump's antics at the first debate riled up his base and riled up white supremacists, what it did do, I think, was piss off a lot of people who were maybe like, couldn't bring themselves to vote for Antifa and the left and Black Lives Matter and all of these things that they think are evil. But what it did piss them off that they were like, young man, you are acting like an ass. And that really makes 45 to 65 year old white folks who vote who are Christian, who are probably moderate, slightly right. It really pisses them off. And it seemed to show in the polls because Uncle Joe took a 12 point jump after the last times, the last debate. 
Wow. And Trump says he's looking forward to the next debate. Of course, tonight is the vice presidential debate with Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. There will be plexiglass between them, and it's controversial plexiglass. <gasps> the uh, the uh, the Trump-Pence administration is not happy about the plexiglass, but of course, uh, they're making fun of the left-wing crazies uh, for their, uh, I guess, overly cautious... <laughs> measures after oh the first debate ended up being one of the two people on the stage had coronavirus anyway (laughs) Uh, how dare they how dare they and i do think that's true what you're saying about manners but i also think people who are on the fence about him like that he is this go-getter right that he doesn't care about what he's supposed to be saying or what he's supposed to be doing he's a man of the people right he just kind of does what he wants and he says what he wants and you know, that has been his reputation ever since he was a public figure, even on The Apprentice, even in interviews. He always had this kind of smirk on him, this kind of, uh, you know, my S don't stink kind of vibe that, you know, everything's about power and money. And people just kind of understood that that's who he was because he's this big tycoon. And that's how you operate when you when you're in control and when you're a real leader. So I think some people also, contrary to what you're saying, might think, oh, this guy really wants it because he cares about the American people. He's not going to abide by these stupid debate rules. Mm. And and see, I take that in a different sort of tone. Like I, what what I what I see is the people, the the middle aged white folks who raised me in the church, in a Protestant church in Nebraska, who are, are just nice people, and they they are sort of okay with me being gay. They don't love it, they but but they're fine with it. And but they they're those people who are like, I'm I don't care if you're gay if you don't rub it in my face. Yes, Black Lives Matter, but don't burn down my small shop. Like, because they can't disassociate those two things, right? And right. so I see these people. I know these people. I lived in the Midwest for 35 years. And what I, I can see them saying, all right, he took it too far. I think you're right, right Allie, and that the people are like, he doesn't give two S's or whatever about anything. And he's a, he stands up and he's a leader and he's bold and he doesn't play by the rules. He's already got those people. The That's people, true. The people in the middle, the 33,000 people between Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio last time that didn't vote or voted for him, those people appreciate someone who can go by the rules, who does act American, who does respect the process and debates. And those people were feeling like it was okay for him to get away with a lot of stuff for a long time, and I think he finally took it too far. God, I hope. God, I hope as well. I mean, I, I tweeted at the first debate seeing is anybody saying is anybody watching this that hasn't already made up their mind? It was a really interesting conversation because a couple people responded and were like, I haven't made up my mind. Oh. And everybody was like, <laughs> <laughs> I've, you know, like uh, the private DMs began. Uh, so it's kind of tough to think about how many undecided voters there still are out there because it seems everything is so divided and so right or so left. But they are out there and hopefully they're listening and following with everything that's going on and not just clicking on random videos that aren't <laughs> fact. Aren't um, but we are going to lay out some facts for you when we come back. It's really a state a very famous house is on the market. So I will share that with James when we come back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Allie and James and it is really estate time. The real estate really? market. Really? Really? Estate? The real estate market is taking all kinds of weird twists and turns. One minute it's going up, one minute it's going down. But 
The important thing is that we find a real real estate listing that you could take advantage of right here, right now, and then I will compare it to something else that you could have bought with that money. James, you just have to guess which one costs more. Are you ready to play? Ew, always ready to play games on drop the subject. <laughs> Why do you sound like you? Like you're stroking. All right. What we have on the market today, the listing for this week's real estate is the house from the iconic thriller Silence of the Lambs. It is up for grabs, lotion Ooh. not included, according to the New York Post. Uh. Um, is it the actual house? Like, wasn't that Indiana, right? Outside of Chicago. Isn't that where they found him? So is that where the actual house is? No, the actual house is in Pennsylvania. And this was this house was used in the opening shot of Silence of the Lambs. It is also the interior uh, living room was used to shoot the, uh, the scene where Jodie Foster um, confronts Buffalo Bill. And right. the basement... <sighs> Does not have a giant hole with a well in it and a basket with fingernails on the side. Uh, oh that God. was just a soundstage, apparently. But also included in the storage just area like the is a brick-lined cold cellar, which is actually kind of creepy, according to the real estate agents. Uh-huh. It is a four-bedroom, one-bath, which... Oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it does look pretty nice and sprawling. It's two, 2,300 square feet. There's a oh. nice big porch where you can sit out and stare creepily at people that walk by to take pictures. It also looks as though there's kind of a creepy attic area. So if you want not Extra a murder creepy. house, but a murder house that was portrayed in movies, you could have the Buffalo Bill house right here, right now. Or... For roughly the same amount of money, James, an actual human liver with a can of fava beans and a nice Chianti. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Stop it. It turns You're out. Kidding. Really? Yeah. yeah, really. That's why it's a real estate. The biggest ticket organ that you can legally sell in the U.S. is your heart. They are going for a cool one million. Livers come in second and kidneys fetch about $262,000. Of course, you already know the going price for a can of fava beans is about a buck fifty and a Chianti. Uh, I guess you can kind of decide whether it's worth $20 to $60. I'm not going like hundreds of dollars here, but mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. your comparable item. So the question here, James, is which one costs more? The four-bedroom, one-house in Pennsylvania or the human liver with fava beans and Chianti? Uh, (laughs) this one is really hard because I, okay, can we just back it up for a minute? You and Jesse picked human body parts on purpose. I'm sure you went to the actual dark web to see like what the dark web prices for a liver was, or are these like sanctioned livers, like, like actual like livers that are donated for someone who don't signed up for the donor registry, which everybody should do, by the way. Yes, or was no, this it, like- it is a good point to make sure people register to uh, be donors. I am a donor as well. It's important to donate mm-hmm. your organs yep. for people that as need them. As am I. Um, and I think that this is all through those proper channels. I don't think this is oh. a dark web situation, if that's what you're asking. 
Because I feel like there's massive discrepancies, right, in what the legal system goes for when we're talking about livers. Because livers are way mega super important. Like, I don't think people realize how important livers are. It's like brain, heart, liver, basically. Uh, huh. All right. So uh, the murder house or <laughs> liver, Chianti, and fava beans. I think that I am going to have to go... I think I'm going with the liver. I think I'm going with the human liver Chianti fava bean dinner is more than the house in Pennsylvania. All right. A human liver meal with a can of fava beans and a nice Chianti will run you $557,000 roughly, which is quite a pretty penny. And you're right. It's because they are in high demand and they are very important. I would imagine they're in more high demand than any other organ because of the drinking. I'm sure people need those new livers more than ever, especially in 2020. The creepy silence of the lamb's house is currently on the market on Zillow for $298,500. You are a winner. Here's your liver. I win all the games. Two minutes promise. We will be right back. Spay and nerd your animals. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Welcome back. It is Drop the Subject with Allie and James. And of course, on Wednesdays, we get to look forward to talking to Dr. John Paul, who's an activist and educator, a good friend, somebody that we love talking to every week for our weekly wake up call. It's an effort to continue conversations about racial injustice and the many, many layers of conversations and things that go with that. And Dr. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me back. Of course. Always happy to do it. And we wanted to talk to you this week about what you did your dissertation on, because after all, you are a doctor and doctors do have to do dissertations. And uh-huh. you, uh, you've you done one. <laughs> Dr. James has done one. Um, I guess since I'm in radio, mine was on fart noises. I'm not quite sure. But you have done <laughs> yours on, correct me if I'm wrong, queer men of color pursuing higher education. Is that correct? Yes, that is okay. correct. Very so so mm-hmm. let's just dive in. And I guess the main question would be, what is it like for queer men of color to pursue higher education and the challenges that come with that? There were so many different things that I kind of perused in the 285 pages that I wrote. Um, Oh, my 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 God. (laughs) 285. Yes. My dissertation is 285 pages. So technically, it's it's almost a book. Um, Almost. It basically is a book. I've read books um, way shorter than that. I know, right? Um, So it's like two books. (laughs) Right. But where it initially started, I was noticing that while I was in college, a lot of my experiences seemed to be very much... um, they weren't my own per se, if that if that's the word. Mm. I found myself being in college feeling very isolated and feeling like I was ultimately kind of on my own island. And I was being told how to perform, but I wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I had the resources to perform at the levels that I was being kind of expected to perform. So lo and behold, when I started working in, in higher education, I had went to some of my administrators there and I'd said, hey, I think specifically queer students of color, specifically queer black men need more support. And I was met with this notion of, oh, Black men, you know, all students, all students, Black, white, whatever, you you know, they have all the support that they need. I don't know what else, you know, we can do for them. And I was like, oh, really? They have all the support. Well, it doesn't feel that way. And I didn't feel that way. So let me see if, you know, my feelings are, are accurate. And so I decided that I'd research it. And that's ultimately what ended up happening was that I found that there was this very 
jarring way we looked at the identity development model and how we were expecting LGBTQ Black men specifically to perform and not really having conversations about the ways that intersectionality and the impression and the ways that systems, specifically structural systems, impact the learning process of men of color, specifically Black men. So um, there's just, there's so many different facets and I know that we, you know, we're strapped for time, but there were so many different pieces that I found throughout my research that kind of told me everything that I experienced as a Black person in education was valid, if that makes sense. So Sure. And I, well, first of all, I, I think it's lovely that you did, went and did this research. I mean, more than lovely, but also I think what probably one of the things that you realized was that you didn't need to do this research to realize that what you were feeling was valid, right? right. <laughs> like you can, you can feel that without it being researched back, but I'm glad that mm-hmm. you were able to do that research. Also, I'm actually really curious about were there differences in the ex- experience of queer men of color at historically black colleges and universities versus yeah. traditional? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, my institution, I, I, I chose institutions that were locally because I wanted to do in-person interviews with them. At the time I did my research, we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have all, you know, we didn't have all of the capabilities to kind of, you know, connect with people outside of that. So I did a lot of my in-persons. But what I have found in the few years that I've kind of just been doing the work that I do now outside of higher education is that there is a larger conversation around. Um, so, and I found this in my dissertation too. So there were a couple of different topics that came up. But one of the ones that I, 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 that I think was so prominent that really kind of hit me was this idea about the mask that a lot of queer men of color wear. And when I say the mask, it's the mask that they put on when they're at, you know, when they're on campus or when they're doing stuff with their friends and their peers on campus, and then the mask that they wear at home. And a lot of young men, specifically Black men, that come to me and talk to me about their experiences or I, I share space with, they talk to me a lot about what the weight is of these different masks, right? It's not just this mask of like, oh, I have to be two different people. It's the weight and the emotional pain that comes with having to perform one way for family and then having to perform another way in relation to who they truly want to be or who they see themselves as. And the weight and the responsibility that comes with quote unquote performing as a Black person. I think that's what really has kind of, you know, really has opened up my eyes to this perception that, you know, a lot of the ways that queer Black men see themselves is extremely performative. Um, They're having to find themselves having to perform not only for the LGBTQ community, but they're having to perform for their family. They're having to perform in jobs. They're having to perform in all these different ways. And we never talk about what emotional toll that takes on queer men, specifically Black men, when we start talking about the lived experience and the pain that they feel between each of those. So that's really what that research told me, gave me a narrative and it gave me the words to be able to kind of vocalize what that pain was and what it felt like or what it looked like. Hmm, fascinating. Mm. All right, we, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back. We're talking to Dr. John Paul about uh, their dissertation on uh, queer men of color pursuing higher education and what their research told them. So fascinating chat. Don't go anywhere. We come right back with more Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Ali and Dr. James, and we talk to Dr. John Paul every week. It's our weekly wake-up call. We are going to dive right back in. We've been talking to them about their uh, dissertation topic, which was queer (laughs) men of color pursuing higher education. And in the last segment, you mentioned the word mask and the masks that you felt you had to wear in different communities. Did you still Mm -hmm. feel like you had to wear a mask, just a different mask, 
among other black people in your community in, you know, higher education that you did pursue because of your queerness? Yes. So so there's this real thing that I think ultimately we don't talk enough about. And, and, and I always kind of talk about it both on social and off is this conversation around respectability politics. And I will I, I don't know if James can attest to this, but I have been in spaces where people have told me either I'm too feminine or I'm too loud or I'm too this or I'm too that, that, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve or I'm too vocal. You know, there are all of these expectations that come with being not only just a black person, but ultimately being a queer person. And then when you add being a black queer person, the the expectations become almost, uh, they surmount if, if that's the right word. And so I think for me, what I learned was, you know, this, this conversation for me became, how do I get outside of the expectations of other people and learn to be very comfortable with not only within myself, but being very comfortable within my voice and how I, how I present to people and really challenging myself to ask myself, when am I performing and when am I turning off? And I always think it's very interesting because we have conversations in the the black community about code switching. And we talk a lot about that, but we never have real conversations about the code switching that happens with queer black people or queer brown people, right? This idea that, you know, I can be in a room full of cishet, you know, black men and I have to feel the need to code switch then, right? I can't talk about Paris is burning or I can't talk about RuPaul or I can't talk about the drag scene or I can't talk about ball culture, right? There's this notion that I, I constantly have to, to fit this niche around my identity and how I present. And it finally got to a place. And I will say like, I'm 35. I've been through almost maybe five, six, seven years of therapy. I'm finally at a place now where I don't feel the need to constantly have to code switch. And and I don't feel the need to have to tell myself that it is okay for me not to code switch. And I think that's what happens with a lot of young Hmm. queer men of color in higher education, right? They're trying to fit in. They're trying to find themselves. They're trying to survive. They're trying to make it. And so they're willing to do whatever they have to do to do that. And then they're being told, this is how you're supposed to perform. And if you don't perform, you won't be successful. And there's all of these things that come with it. So I think it's just really a lot of my story has been having to unlearn what I was told that I needed to be and really having to discover who I wanted to be and how to stand in that. And I think that's really what my dissertation did for me. It gave me the opportunity to really reflect on my own lived experience, um, all of the pain that I had experienced on my own as I was evaluating other people's experiences and really giving me the autonomy to say, how do I own my voice and my story the way I want to own it without feeling like it has to be a performative mm-hmm. you know, narrative? Yeah. So knowing that you have contributed to the overall body of humanity's knowledge, right? You have Mm -hmm. advanced our knowledge. Then what's the next step in this, right? We always talk about this. If someone was to read your dissertation and take your research and then add on to it, Dr. John, the next step, Mm -hmm. what is that person doing? What's the next step for advancing the experience of queer men of color in higher education? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever talked about this here, but I think this is where I, I kind of wrap it up. You know, I've always said that in in all facets of our life, specifically in education, we're often told what to think. We're not taught how to think. That's the thing that I really want to challenge people to think about as, you know, even if you don't, you know, decide to go down, you know, the rabbit hole and read my dissertation, my thing becomes, you know, I've always told people that it's important for you to to, to learn how to think for yourself. And I had an educator challenge me to do that when I was in college. And I think that that's really what changed my praxis in life. I think it's very imperative that we really start to get to this idea where we're asking folks, do 
do I believe this to be true because it is true or it, do I believe this to be true because I was told to believe this was true? Yeah. And I think that's what happens with a lot of queer people. Well, the world hates me. Wait, does the world hate me or are you taught to believe that the world hates you, right? Mm. Do you, you know, what is it, you know, this this idea of like taking on other people's self-hatred or feelings of your own identity. Like, what do you feel about yourself? How do you get to a place to really become comfortable with how you feel about you? And really interrogating all of these oppressive and, and problematic ideologies and um, and narratives that are ultimately following people. I think that that's the number one thing that I've learned in all of this is really what does it mean to deeply interrogate narratives that I don't buy into? What am I doing to truly really stand in this idea that what I believe for me is what works and that's okay? And I think that that's been kind of what my whole motive has been with this whole entire journey that I've been on is really getting queer people, specifically queer black and brown people to say, however you want to live your life, however you see your life fit, you get that you have that right. You have the power to own that. And I think that that's what's so powerful in my dissertation. It wasn't even the folks being a part of my study that was powerful. It was the idea that they got to own their narratives in a way that they never had the ability to own in years prior to that. And I think that's what I do. I advocate for this notion of we have to learn how to own our own narratives. We have to know how we want to craft them. And we have to be able to know in our hearts of hearts that our narratives are our own and we have the right to really kind of like strongly hold on to that. I mean, it, this is just also fascinating because you're also talking about college, which is a time where a lot of people are still figuring out their own stuff, right? And they right. are already finding themselves in a certain way. And the more privilege you live with, the easier it is to go through that experience. But then mm -hmm. everyone that has less privilege has all of these other things that are placed onto them unknowingly, subconsciously, and then mm -hmm. eventually to have to learn about those things and then unlearn those things and rewrite your own narrative, your own experience. It makes me think about my age now and then going back to college and being able to relive that with the maturity, you know, that that we have as human beings as older folks. So it's just mm -hmm. um, there's so many layers to it. And, and thank you, Dr. John, again, for talking to us we always learn so much from you and you can find dr john at dr john paul uh, on twitter and on instagram you can go to their website drjohnpaul.com you can read the dissertation there and you can also check out their ted talks dr john thank you so much as always thank you for having me drop the subject the new channel q drop the subject presents news it or lose it Love that music because it means it's time for News It or Lose It, which is one of my favorite segments and one of yours, too. This is where I have two headlines. Allie Johnson has two headlines. And we get to decide whether we news the headline or lose it. And if you news one and lose the other, we never speak of the other one ever again. Allie Johnson, are you ready? I'm ready. Headline number one for you. Lance Bass hints there's more to hashtag free Britney then you realize. No, Lance is weighing in? <gasps> News it. News it. Um, all right, fine. Then you are not ever, ever, ever going to hear about, I promise I won't talk about Dolly Parton and talks to pose for Playboy for uh, her 75th birthday. Yes, I did hear about that, which is exciting. I hope it gets confirmed soon. All right. 
Here is your first headline for News or Lose It. Van Halen, uh, R.I.P. Do you want to talk about him for a minute? Oh, yeah, because I think this happened yesterday, right? We didn't get a chance to talk yeah. about it. So, yeah, yeah we didn't get a chance to I'm going to uh, subdued. Okay. Subdued, meh. All right, then meh. you're not going to hear about the drama with T.J. Miller having a possible Ellen moment as his ex-bodyguard speaks out about his reckless behavior. This is not the first time anyone's spoken out about T.J. Miller. Nope, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think this this guy, this is another one of those where there's smoke, there's fire sort of thing. Like this, I feel like this is the fourth or fifth time people have been like, uh, this dude might be funny, but he is not behind the camera. Let's talk about Eddie Van Halen. All right. He passed away at the age of 65. Uh, he died of cancer. It was, of course, really sad to hear about his son, Wolf Van Halen. Uh, posted on Twitter and said he was the best father I could ever ask for. Every moment I've shared with him on and off the stage was a gift. And, uh, you know, I I guess Valerie Bertinelli and him had Wolf. So that's mm-hmm. their that's their son, mm-hmm. um, which I also didn't even realize that they <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli and Eddie Van Halen were a thing. Valerie Bertinelli um, was like the catch back in the day really like, yo, oh my god you don't remember valerie burton ernie when she was all like I, she was definitely an a-lister but not like out there in a big way but like everyone she was at every party she was ever doing everything like before her lifetime movie era she was like the it girl wow i had no idea yeah yeah so it's it's sad to see somebody, a rock legend like that, uh, passing on, especially in a year like 2020 where we've already had so much bad news. Uh, but songs like Jump, I mean, there are songs, Hello. so many Van Halen songs Hot that for will... teacher? Yeah, oh, that will man. live on Running and will never... Devil. Like, there are certain songs where I hope that my kids always know about them. Mm. You know, like the Beatles or some classic rock like Van Halen or Heart and Stevie yeah. Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. Like, there's always going to be artists that sort of transcend uh, generations to be cliche about it. But, you know, there are certain artists that I would never want my kids not to know about growing yeah. up. Absolutely. You're def- You're going to have to call in reinforcements when either Anne or Nancy Wilson die by the way you mentioned heart and i think i've mentioned this before you know that's like my favorite uh, band of all time right like i absolutely I didn't know that they were your favorite of oh all my time God. i've seen heart like seven times the last time i saw really? them was front row at the hollywood bowl for my birthday chris took me i was high as a kite and waved at me it was amazing it was like the best <gasps> night of my life right so very sad about eddie van halen but please send reinforcements if Anne or nancy ever die Moving on to another person who people go crazy for every every time she takes a breath or blinks. There's something about Britney. And we have covered a lot of the hashtag free Britney situation here. Well, Lance Bass of NSYNC fame is weighing in. And he says, Allie, I've talked to Jamie Lynn, as in Spears, Britney's sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel a lot better. Jamie Lynn and the rest of the family are not as worried as everybody else is. People just really don't know what's going on. So we just have to trust that the loved ones around her are doing the right thing. And he said, I know Jamie Lynn very well. The one thing that I do know is if Jamie Lynn is okay with every going on, mm-hmm. everything's okay. Because Jamie That's Lynn has a, had yeah. Britney's back from like Jump Street. And he's like, if Jamie Lynn says it's fine, then it's fine. 
Yeah, and I know that, you know, we shared some of the interview that um, her brother did with uh, some podcaster, and he was talking about how, you know, the family doesn't always agree on what the conservatorship is and what the terms of it are. But I had that thought, too, James, where I was like, but Jamie Lynn. Yeah. Like, Jamie Lynn's got her head on straight. You know, I think she got pregnant at a kind of a young age and everything like that. But she... She is a, and not but, because it's okay to have kids when you're young. Uh, she seems like somebody who has a good head on her shoulders and somebody who would be an advocate for Britney. Yeah. And wouldn't just be trying to, like, have her be a milk cow. Yeah. And just, I mean, who knows? This could all be one big PR stunt, right? I think all those boy and girl bands from the 90s and 2000s kind of stick together. They, like, roll together, right? <laughs> Which is oh. a thing. So maybe That's Lance amazing. is covering. I don't know. But Jamie Lynn's never really covered before. So maybe Britney's okay. Maybe she's just really, 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 really bored in pandemia like the rest of us. Who knows? But what I do know, we only got two minutes of commercials for you. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Yes, unfortunately, it's time to close up shop. It's sad, close up but shop. close up shop. Close up shop. Close up shop. Close up shop. We did a lot of great things on the show today. It was a fascinating chat with Dr. John Paul. If you missed that, I highly oh, encourage man. you checking it out. Uh, talking Dude. to them has been so, so... It's been a real treat, and it's been an incredible learning experience for me, uh, and I, I, I'm sure... Even though you have learned, yeah, you, you've you've learned a lot in your lifetime, James, but I assume you've learned a thing or two talking to Dr. John as well. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. And hopefully you uh, listening have taken some things away from our chats with Dr. John Paul. And if you want to follow Dr. John, again, their Twitter and Instagram is at Dr. John Paul. And now we close it all out with this. This is a listener submitted a question that I... I'm not usually like, and today's cue of the day, you know, I, but I think question that this is, a, yeah, the question of the day type of thing. But I do like to hear from you and what you'd like to know of us. And somebody asked us, James, what was the most expensive meal we ever had? You know, we do love food on this show. I never get tired of talking about food. I never get tired of eating food. And I have had my share of great meals in my life. So I will share my most expensive meal that I've ever had, and then you can share yours to close out the show. What do you say? Sounds like a plan. Tell me all about it. I will be quick with mine because, and I don't know if this counts because it was the most expensive meal I ever had, but I didn't pay for uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it counts still. Okay. I was working at a Botox clinic when I lived in in uh, New York. I was, an, uh, I was the assistant receptionist person so i scheduled all the botox i put a lot of numbing cream on people <laughs> there's so much going on right now in this i think I, in the months we've been doing this show Allie, you're like i was an assistant to the assistant to the receptionist to mm-hmm. the scheduler at a botox <laughs> clinic in new york like right. i'm come again there anyway. was a lot going on yes Carry and on. Uh, yes. Th- there were several celebrity clients that would come in get laser uh-huh. hair removal all kinds of things and it was a very interesting job but one of the perks was that all of the people peddling their products would come in and offer us stuff. And if if we did use their products, the doctor and the offices would occasionally take these clients out to dinner. So we got invited mm-hmm. to a big dinner with the, one of our big clients that sold a bunch of products at our medical spa. So they said, you're going to come. And I, I'm broke. I just got out of college. And nice. they're uh, so I'm like, sure, where are you going? And they're like, we're going to this place called Nobu. And I was like, okay, oh. that sounds fun. So we, me and the esthetician 
got to Nobu. We had never been there before, and we lost our damn minds. We <laughs> had sure so much wine. Our doc, the doctor <laughs> looked at the menu, at the specials menu, because you know sometimes it's just one sheet of like all their specials, and she right, just right. handed it back to the waiter and said, "We'll have that." And they ordered everything. Like, I can't imagine. I think that dinner must have been thousand. Like, I, I can't even. And I, I couldn't even tell you what I ate because I can't remember. They were all little bite-sizey things that just uh-huh. one thing tasted better than the last thing. And if I hadn't gotten so drunk, I probably could tell you exactly what I ate. It was also many years ago and weed has stolen my memory. But it was by far the most expensive meal I've ever had. Not paid for. And hashtag no regrets. <laughs> and hashtag no regrets. Okay, so it's really funny that you say that because my I, I have two meal stories. One of them was I sort of accidentally ate at Alinea in Chicago, which is like the third highest rated restaurant on earth or something like that. Oh, God. And it's, it's Where like is it? one of the few. It's called Alinea and it's in Chicago. Okay. And this was, I was, I was like. It was a date. We sort of were like randomly decided to get together. And it was like right after Alinea opened and it was getting all this craze and praise and whatever. He had a connection and someone to work there and something, something, I don't know, whatever. And he was just like, you want to meet me here, but you got to come and have a drink at like 930. And then we can like eat afterwards. And I was like, sure, I'll meet you there whatever. I didn't know what this place was. Uh-huh. So I roll up in there and have maybe the best old fashioned I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, right. Like totally. You know, I thought mm, I was nice cool. I was like in my smoky. 20s or whatever. Right. And then we sit down and we eat and we have this amazing meal. And this food just keeps coming out and coming out and coming out. And the chef comes out and talks to us. And like, it's this whole thing. But I don't know where I'm eating at. Like, I'm not, I wasn't a foodie. Like, I'm not a fancy dude. Like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. So then I go to tell my friends afterwards the next day. I was like, not only did I have the best old fashioned, I had like 17 courses and dessert. I met the chef. It was amazing. All of this was, and they're like, oh, great. You know, and I'm telling about the date because some other stuff happened too. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I was like, this was so fun. It was great. And they're like, where did you go? And I was like, Alinea. And they're like, no, you didn't. And I was like, no, no, we went to this place. I like looked it up on my phone, went to the address, showed them the restaurant. I'm like, this is where I ate. Yeah, it 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 is a top, it's at least top 10. It, at the th- time, I think it was a top five restaurant in the world. Wow. Like it's, there's like Michigan and Zagat rating and all this other stuff. And this is like above those. Like, I don't know, you guys look it up. It's called Alinea. I ate there not knowing that I ate there. <laughs> like, I just was like, this really hot guy has these connections and is like feeding me all this food and this like great alcohol, whatever. We had a fantastic time. It was super fun. I will never, ever, ever forget it. I almost am glad that I didn't know what I was doing because then I don't think I was obnoxious about it. You know, like, I yeah, just was like, exactly. Having fun. It, it kind of is nice to know only after the fact because you don't spend the whole time going, oh my God, I'm at Alinea. Oh my God, I'm at Alinea. Oh my God, I'm yeah, going to yeah, take yeah. advantage of it. Oh my God, I'm at And same for me. I was at Nobu and I had no idea that it was even a thing. I've ne- I had never even heard of that before. But now if I were to go to the French Laundry, I'd be like, I'm at the French Laundry. Oh my I'm God, the French, French Laundry. laundry. I'm French uh, laundry. Yeah. Is this, is this $79 for this bite? Is it worth it? You yep. know, that whole thing. Oh, that because that moment happened. Because we were eating off of the menu that didn't have prices. <laughs> and I was at least smart enough to be like, uh, this is. And they were like, oh, don't worry about list. it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, I didn't pay for a thing. Wow. It was amazing. Oh, look yeah. at us. All right. Well, what know. is your most expensive meal? You can always get at us uh, on the DMs at Instagram at DTS show. We will see you manana. Goodbye. Drop the subject. The new channel Q.